0: Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, podcast where we do things. We are talking about chapter 95. Uh-oh, a kiss. Will this start something? Laura Stitch said, Now he felt for her a tenderness he had not known for a long time. Oh no. Yeah, pretty much. That was the only comment for this chapter from Laura Y. Stitch. Oh no. And I think that was all the discussion we needed for this chapter. Oh no. Philip. No. Just no. Uh, <laughs> there's nothing more to say. Ah, oh, This book, I tell you what. I I like it and I hate it in equal parts. I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens. Let's just keep reading then, hey? Let's just power through chapter 96. It's quite a long chapter, so um, this will balance out the podcast length by having barely any discussion. Chapter 96 goes like this. The climax came... Two or three weeks later, Mildred was driven by Philip's behavior to a pitch of strange exasperation. There were many different emotions in her soul, and she passed from mood to mood with facility. She spent a great deal of time alone and brooded over her position. She did not put all of her feelings into words. She did not even know what they were, but certain things stood out in her mind, and she thought of them over and over again. She had never understood Philip, nor had very much liked him, but she was pleased to have him about her, because she thought he was a gentleman. She was impressed because his father had been a doctor, and his uncle was a clergyman. She despised him a little bit, because she had made such a fool of him, and at the same time was never quite comfortable in his presence. She could not let herself go, and she felt that he was criticising her manners. When she first came to live in the little rooms in Kennington, she was tired out and ashamed. She was glad to be left alone. It was a comfort to think that there was no rent to pay. She need not go out in all weathers, and she could lie quietly in bed if she did not feel well. She had hated the life she led. It was horrible to have to be affable and subservient, and even now, when it crossed her mind, she cried with pity for herself, as she thought of the roughness of men and their brutal language. But it crossed her mind very seldom. She was grateful to Philip for coming to her rescue and when she remembered how honestly he had loved her and how badly she had treated him, she felt a pang of remorse. It was easy to make it up to him. It meant very little to her. She was surprised when he refused her suggestion, but she shrugged her shoulders, let him put on airs if he liked. She did not care. He would be anxious enough in a little while, and then it would be her turn to refuse. If he thought it was any deprivation to her... He was very much mistaken. She had no doubt of her power over him. He was peculiar, but she knew him through and through. He had so often quarrelled with her and sworn he would never see her again, and then in a little while he had come on his knees begging to be forgiven. It gave her a little thrill to think how he had cringed before her. He would have been glad to lie down on the ground for her to walk on him. She had seen him cry. She knew exactly how to treat him, pay no attention to him, just pretend you didn't notice his tempers, leave him severely alone, and in a little while he was sure to grovel. She laughed a little to herself, good-humouredly, when she thought how he had come and eaten dirt before her. She had had her fling now. She knew what men were and did not want to have anything more to do with them. She was quite ready to settle down with Philip. When all was said he was a gentleman in every sense of the word and that was something not to be sneezed at wasn't it anyhow she was in no hurry and she was not going to take the first step she was glad to see how fond he was of growing of how fond he was growing of the baby though it tickled her a good deal it was comic that he should set so much store on another man's child he was peculiar and no mistake but one or two things surprised her. She had been used to his subservience, he was only too glad to do anything for her in the old days. She was accustomed to see him cast down by a cross word and in ecstasy a kind one. He was different now, and she said to herself that he had not improvised in the last sorry improved in the last year. It never struck her for a moment that there could be any change in his feelings, and she thought it was only acting when he paid no heed to her bad temper. He wanted to read sometimes and told her to stop talking. She did not know whether to flare up or to sulk, and was so puzzled that she did neither. Then came the conversation, in which he told her that he intended their relations to be platonic, and remembering an incident of their common past, it occurred to her that he dreaded the possibility of her being pregnant. She took pains to reassure him it made no difference. She was the sort of woman who was unable to realize that a man might not have her own obsession with sex. Her relations with men had been purely on those lines, and she could not understand that they ever had other interests. The thought struck her that Philip was in love with somebody else, and she watched, it, watched him, suspecting nurses at the hospital or people he met out. But artful questions led her to the conclusion that there was no one dangerous in the Athelney household, and it forced itself upon her also that Philip, like most medical students, was unconscious of the sex of the nurses with whom his work threw him in contact. They were associated, in his mind, and with a faint odour of iodeform. Philip received no letters, and there was no girl's photograph among his belongings. If he was in love with someone, he was very clever at hiding it, and he answered all Mildred's questions with frankness, and apparently without suspicion, and there was that there was any motive in them. "'I don't believe he's in love with anybody else,' she said to herself at last." It was a relief, for in that case he was certainly still in love with her, but it made his behaviour very puzzling. If he was going to treat her like that, why did he ask her to come and live at the flat? It was unnatural. Mildred was not a woman who conceived the possibility of compassion generosity, or kindness. Her only conclusion was that Philip was queer. She took it into her head that the reasons for his conduct were chivalrous, and her imagination filled with the extravagance of cheap fiction. She pictured to herself all sorts of romantic explanations for his delicacy. Her fancy ran riot with bitter misunderstandings, purifications by fire, snow-white souls, and death in the cruel cold of a Christmas night. She made up her mind that When they went to Brighton, she would put an end to all his nonsense. They would be alone there, everyone would think them husband and wife, and there would be the peer and the band. When she found that nothing would induce Philip to share the same room with her, when he spoke to her about it with a tone in which voice she had never heard before, she suddenly realized that he did not want her. She was astounded. She remembered all he had said in the past and how desperately he had loved her. She felt humiliated and angry, but she had a sort of native insolence which carried her through. He needn't think she was in love with him, because she wasn't. She hated him sometimes, and she longed to humble him. But she found herself singularly powerless. She did not know which way to handle him. She began to be a little nervous with him. Once or twice she cried. Once or twice she set herself to be particularly nice to him. But when she took his arm while they walked along the front at night, he made some excuse in a while to release himself, as though it were unpleasant for him to be touched by her. She could not make it out. The only hold she had over him was through the baby, of whom he seemed to grow fonder and fonder. She could make him white with anger by giving the child a slap or a push, and the only time the old tender smile came back into his eyes was when she stood with the baby in her arms. She noticed it when she was being photographed, like that by a man on the beach, and afterwards she often stood in the same way for Philip to look at her. When they got back to London, Mildred began looking for the work she had asserted was so easy to find. She wanted now to be independent of Philip, and she thought of the satisfaction with which she would announce to him that she was going into rooms and would take the child with her, but her heart failed her when she came into closer contact with the possibility she had grown unused to long hours, She did not want to be at the beck and call of a manageress, and her dignity revolted at the thought of wearing once more a uniform she had made out to such of the neighbors as she knew that they were comfortably off. It would be a come-down if they heard that she had to go out and work. Her natural indolence asserted itself. She did not want to leave Philip, and so long as he was willing to provide for her, she did not see why she should. There was no... Money to throw away, but she got her board and lodging, and he might be, get better off. His uncle was an old man, and might die any day. He would come into a little then, and even as things were, it was better than slaving from morning till night for a few shillings a week. Her efforts relaxed, she kept on reading the advertisement columns of the daily paper merely to show that she wanted to do something, if anything that was worth her while, presented itself. But panic seized her, and she was afraid that Philip would grow tired of supporting her. She had no hold over him at all now, and she fancied that he only allowed her to stay there because he was fond of the baby. She brooded over it all, and she thought to herself angrily that she would make him pay for all this some day. She could not reconcile herself to the fact that he no longer cared for her. She would make him. She shuff- suffered from peak and sometimes in a curious fashion she desired Philip. He was so cold now that it exasperated her, she thought of him in that way incessantly. She thought that he was treating her very badly, and she did not know what she had done to deserve it. She kept on saying to herself that it was unnatural that they should live like that. Then she thought that if things were different and she were going to have a baby, he would be sure to marry her. He was funny, but he was a gentleman in every sense of the word. No one could deny that. At last it became an obsession with her, and she made up her mind to force a change in their relations. He never even kissed her now, and she wanted him to. She remembered how ardently he had been used to press her lips. It gave her a curious feeling to think of it. She often looked at his mouth. One evening at the beginning of February, Philip told her that he was dining with Lawson, who was giving a party in his studio to celebrate his birthday, and he would not be in until late. Lawson had bought a couple of bottles of the punch they favoured from the tavern in Big Street, and they proposed to have a merry evening. Mildred asked if there were, there, there were going to be women there, but Philip told her there were not. Only men had been invited, and they were just going to sit and talk and smoke. Mildred did not think it sounded very amusing. If she were a painter, she would have half a dozen models about. She went to bed, but could not sleep and presently an idea struck her. She got up and fixed the catch on the wicket at the landing so that Philip could not get in. He came back about one, and she heard him curse when he found that the wicket was closed. She got out of bed and opened. Why on earth did you shut yourself in? I'm sorry I've dragged you out of bed. I left it open on purpose. I can't think how it came to be shut. Hurry up and get back to bed, or you'll catch a cold. He walked into the sitting room and turned up the gas. She followed him in. She went up to the fire. I want to warm my feet a bit. They're like ice. He sat down and began to take off his boots. His eyes were shining and his cheeks were flushed. She thought he had been drinking. Have you been enjoying yourself? She asked with a smile. Yes, I've had a ripping time. Philip was quite sober, but he had been talking and laughing and he was excited still. An evening of that sort reminded him of the old days in Paris. He was in high spirits. He took his pipe out of his pocket and filled it. "'Aren't you going to bed?' she asked. "'Not yet. I'm not a bit sleepy. "'Lawson was in great form. "'He talked sixteen to the dozen from the moment I got there till the moment I left. "'What did you talk about?' "'Heaven knows. "'Of every subject under the sun. "'You should have seen us all shouting at the tops of our voices and nobody listening.' "'Philip laughed with pleasure at the recollection, and Mildred laughed too. "'She was pretty sure he had drunk more than was good for him. "'That was exactly what she had expected. "'She knew men.' Can I sit down, she said. Before he could answer, she settled herself on his knees. If you're not going to bed, you'd better go and put on a dressing gown. Oh, I'm all right as I am. Then putting her arms around his neck, she placed her face against his and said, Why are you so horrid to me, Phil? He tried to get up, but she would not let him. I do love you, Philip, she said. Don't talk, damned rot. It it isn't. It's true. I can't live without you. I want you. He released himself from her arms. Please, get up. You're making a fool of yourself, and you're making me feel a perfect idiot. I love you, Philip. I want to make up for all the harm I did you. I can't go on like this. It's not in human nature. He slipped out of the chair and left her in it. I'm very sorry, but it's too late. She gave a heart-rending sob. But why? How can you be so cruel? I suppose it's because I loved you too much. I wore the passion out. The thought of anything of that sort horrifies me. I can't look at you now without thinking of a mill and Griffith's. One can't help those things. I suppose it's just nerves. She seized his hand and covered it with kisses. Don't, he cried. She sank back into the chair. I can't go on like this. If you won't love me, I'd rather go away. Don't be foolish. You haven't anywhere to go. You can stay here as long as you like, but it must be on the definite understanding that we are friends and nothing more. Then she dropped. Suddenly, the vehemence of passion and gave a soft, insinuating laugh. She sidled up to Philip and put her arms around him, she made her voice low and wheedling. Don't be such a silly, such an old silly. I believe you're nervous. You don't know how nice I can be. She put her face against his and rubbed his cheek with hers. To Philip her smile was an abominable leer, and its suggestive glitter in her eyes filled him with horror. He drew back instinctively. I won't, he said. But she would not let him go. She sought his mouth with her lips, he took her hands and tore them roughly apart and pushed her away. ''You disgust me,'' he said. ''Me?'' She steadied herself with one hand on the chimney-piece. She looked at him for an instant, and two red spots suddenly appeared on her cheeks. She gave a shrill, angry laugh. ''I disgust you!'' She paused and drew in her breath sharply. Then she burst into a furious torrent of abuse. She shouted at the top of her voice. She called him every foul name she could think of. She used language so obscene that Philip was astounded. She was always so anxious to be refined, so shocked by coarseness that it had never occurred to him that she knew the words she used now. She came up to him and thrust her face in his. It was distorted with passion, and in her tumultuous speech the spittle dribbled over her lips. I never cared for you, not once. I was making a fool of you always. You bored me. You bored me stiff, and I hated you. I would never have let you touch me only for the money, and it used to make me sick when I had to let you kiss me. We laughed at you, Griffiths and me. We laughed because you were such a mug, a mug, a mug." Then she burst out again into abominable invective. She accused him of every mean fault. She said he was stingy. She said he was dull. She said he was vain, selfish. She cast virulent ridicule on everything upon which he was most sensitive. And at last she turned to go. She kept on with hysterical violence, shouting at him an opprobrious, filthy epithet. She seized the handle of the door and flung it open. Then she turned round and hurled at him the injury, which she knew was the only one that really touched him. She threw into into the word all the malice and all the venom of which she was capable. She flung it at him as though it were a blow. Cripple. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. I think we're starting to see the tip of the iceberg of um, what Mildred, who Mildred really is. <laughs> I think, I think she let a little bit out there, just a little bit. I don't, but I think it's that to the core. I think she is just a piece of trash. Um, oh, what a, what an animal! Uh, All right, have your say about that one over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll see you tomorrow.